You're listening to the Brick by Brick podcast, where we take you from the ground up on real estate investing. Join us on our entrepreneurial voyage through the world of flipping houses, managing rental property, and building a real estate empire. All right, welcome back to the Brick by Brick podcast. We have a very special episode today because this is the first episode where we have a special guest. And we're very excited to have Victor Liu here from Clear Skies Title. And I guess you are a title expert, I would say. Um, the title expert. The title expert. Um, <laughs> Clear Skies is a, is a local title company here in New Jersey. And we're super excited to geek out on all things title and title insurance. And uh, all things that might flow from that conversation. I, I actually find this a, a fascinating topic, um, particularly as a lawyer and as an investor looking into the world of real estate. Maybe we can start, Victor, by just you introducing yourself and sort of who you are and how you got involved in the in the title industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, thank, thanks for having us. Uh, thanks for having me and uh, letting me, you know, kind of share about this very, very esoteric topic that most people don't really talk about or know, know about, but it's uh, actually a really critical piece of the real estate process. So, you know, I'm really passionate about it. To give you a little background on myself, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the owner of Clear Skies Title Agency. It's a, we're a title agency that's been around since 2015 to well, actually technically 2014, but really started operating in 2015. Prior to that, I actually own a title searching company as well. And, you know, if you think title insurance is something that not many people know about, even fewer people know about title searching. So behind every title policy, every behind every title insurance policy is actually a title search that needs to be done. So that's where we started. Um, you know, we we were there in every county in Jersey, uh, just pulling deeds and mortgages, and that was actually you know I, I've never really had a, a real you know, nine to five job. You know, when I came out of college in two thousand seven. That was kind of like the first foray into business. Uh, I went in with a partner and uh, yeah, we were servicing a lot of banks, a lot of foreclosure firms, a lot of foreclosure, I guess, outfits, um, some title agencies, and just, you know, go into the county to make sure that they have the necessary data in order to make their title insurance decisions. In 2014, we saw an opportunity to get into uh, the title insurance space uh, and really to help people a little bit more directly with the real estate purchases. So that's kind of a little background on me in a nutshell. Why don't we just start with the very basics? So okay. could you talk about what it is that a title company like Clear Skies does? Yeah, be happy to. So uh, Clear Skies is technically a title agency. There's actually a difference between a title agency and title company. Before we get into that difference, to give a little background on how title insurance kind of started. So not many people know this, but title insurance as a concept was invented by Benjamin Franklin. Wow. Yeah. Of course. Of course it was Benjamin Franklin. Added to his long list of inventions. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Ryan, we're here with Ryan also. I didn't <laughs> oh, mention hey, that Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Yes, yeah, this should be a highly illuminating conversation. <laughs> the voice of God. Just kidding. I'm so sorry. Yes, Ryan, we, have a, we have a title expert here in Victor. We have a lawyer here in John. And we have a layman well, we here have, in Ryan. We also have Ryan. Ryan is Representing here. the common folk. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Ryan is also here. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, sorry. yeah. Good work. Okay, so way back in the day when uh, you know United States wasn't even the United States, it was 13 colonies. Uh, all of the 13 colonies were owned by King George. So there's really no, not, much, uh, not many problems with that. King George owned everything. You didn't, when you lived on a piece of land, you know who owned, you know, you know who owned that piece of land. From time to time, he would you know, 
convey out little parcels of land to certain dukes or certain businessmen. Um, but for the most part, you know, to understand it, all the land, all the 13 colonies were owned by King George. Was it a similar case in Britain at the time? Well, yeah, of course, because King George owned everything, right? right. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't any different because it was a colony as opposed no, 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 to no. their. Yep, it was England, just because he was the king, and yep, he was just he was just the king, and so as time went on, and then the United States, or I guess the Confederacy, and then the United States kind of formulated. When people wanted to transfer a piece of property, they would hire somebody called a conveyancer. And since everyone kind of lived in the same town for generations and generations, there wasn't really much need for any third-party validator of title, of ownership of the land. Because, you know, oh, I, you know, my family's owned this piece of land since King George. And, you know, you can kind of confirm that because, you know, you've kind of lived in the same town. You, you know, maybe your grandfather lived in the same town uh, since the 13 colony days. So everybody knew who owned the land. Yeah, just, absolutely. Like, just knew. Okay. So then as time went on, people started moving maybe, you know, one town over or maybe one state over. And there became this need for kind of like this third party to actually examine the title records or examine the land records to see if that conveyance was actually being done by the rightful owner. Also back in the day, when I said, I'm going to sell you this piece of land, Ryan, and I've owned it forever. And if I am lying to you, and if I if I'm lying to you about anything about this land, you can come, you know, you can come beat me up because I'm still gonna be in the same town. But now people are kind of moving out of the same state, they're moving to the another colony or moving to another state. And um, you know, that that ability to kind of chase somebody down was kind of lost. So, you know, Benjamin Franklin, he, you know, in all his wisdom came up with this concept of, hey, why don't we turn this into a type of insurance where, you know, you don't rely on the seller to tell you the truth anymore. You actually rely on a third party insurance company who the buyer or the seller will pay for, and then they will assume the risk that maybe the seller is lying about something. So kind of the first, the first real title company appeared in Philadelphia in, I, I want to say like 1868 or something like that. And then from there on out, this became the standard practice where either the seller would or the buyer would buy an insurance policy to make sure that, you know, this piece of land that you're buying is going to be free and clear of any debts and is not going to have any uh, baggage tied to it when you buy it. What sort of documentation was available in like the 19th and 18th century to do that type of title search? Was there like a, a title records? Yeah, like there so are today? <laughs> interestingly... Those records actually still exist. They're, they're just handwritten. So whenever, let's say, you know, John, you're, you're going to sell a piece of property to Ryan, you would actually give him a deed and then somebody else would take that deed. You'd bring it to the county recorder and then the county recorder would actually transpose that deed, would rewrite that deed into this big tome, this big book. And, you know, from you can actually go to the county and, you know, with enough effort, you can actually go and find a deed into King George. A lot, of, a lot of lawyers have them like framed on their framed on their uh, walls and stuff like that. Like but a like a, a grantor cool book, like a book of people. Yeah, like a grantor grantee uh-huh. book. So that's where all the deeds are in these these big. I mean, now nowadays everyone's spoiled and everything's computerized. But when we do title searches, we often have to go back to these books. Obviously, all, not all the way back to the 1700s, but we have to go back, you know, to the point where it's handwritten books. So to be clear, before the concept of title insurance existed property was still conveyed by way of a deed. And then after that, when Benjamin Franklin realized the potential for this innovation, the the title insurance process was the additional layer of protection 
on top of the existing practice of conveying de- uh, conveying property by way of a deed? Yeah, technically a deed is just a, it, it's a document, but it really doesn't necessarily have to mean anything, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, if, let's say uh, a man gets married, a man owns a piece of property, he gets married, and then his wife, you know, his wife comes and lives in the property. She has a possessory interest in the property. And if you were to pass away, she would probably inherit that piece of property. But oftentimes you deed it into her just to make it clear that she's also an owner of this property, mm-hmm. right? It's oftentimes that these are used for clarification purposes, not necessarily to transfer anything. So I guess that therein lies the difference between the, the terms deed, which is a document, mm-hmm. and title, which is actual ownership. So if I have title to something... I might not even have a deed. It's very it's very challenging to have title without a deed, mm-hmm. but you really, really need title and you don't necessarily need a deed. And that therein lies the ambiguity which necessitates the need for title insurance. Uh, th- that's one of the pieces why you would definitely need title insurance. Why people do need title insurance is because, you know, a deed, just because you have a deed doesn't necessarily mean you have title and, you know, all the challenges come with that. I wanted to return back to something you said very initially, which is that there's a difference between a title company and a title agency. Oh, yeah. Could you, <laughs> Forgot about that. Could you talk about that? Okay. So back in the history, so they started creating title companies. So these title companies are the insurance companies that would insure title. So when you buy a piece of property, you get a title policy. And if there's anything that would kind of challenge your, your title or your ownership of that property, then you can file a claim with the title company. In New Jersey... There's actually not that many title companies that sell directly. So in New Jersey, oftentimes there are a lot of these title agencies that actually win the business. They develop the relationships with the people that are buying title. And then they will, they're the ones that are actually underwriting it, meaning they run all the title searches. They examine the title searches, and then they actually do the work of clearing title. But at the end of the day, if there is a claim, it's very rarely the title agency that you file a claim with. You file a claim with a parent title company. The title companies that exist in Jersey, most of them are you know, really, really big you know, national companies, Fortune 500 companies that you know, kind of underwrite across the, across the country. And so they might not have as many boots on the ground in New Jersey to actually have that familiarity with each county and all the county records. So they rely on these agencies to do a lot of that, uh, the legwork. But then at the end of the day, you're backed by this, uh, this really solid, rock solid, bigger corporation behind you. So the company is the, the company that gets paid the premium. Is that how it works? Like the uh, company receives the money? So the agency receives the money uh-huh. and then they remit a portion, of, a percentage of that money to the company. And in the event of a claim, do you go through the agency who then defer, uh, passes the risk back along to the title company or does the title... Or do you go directly to the person who carries the risk, the title company? You can go either way. Uh, you know, any any decent agent that's providing service will direct you, will, can help you file that claim with the company. But most importantly, all the contracts that are written and prepared by the agent, and the agent has authority to sign those documents and to issue those documents. But all those documents are actually contracts between the insured and the insurance company. So the agency in between has certain responsibilities to the title company, but doesn't necessarily have the responsibilities to the actual insured. So almost like an insurance agent might have like a State Farm franchise, but State Farm is the company that actually insures it, even if the agent has their own, you know, Bob Jones State Farm agent or whatever. Exactly. That's that's exactly how it is. Um, a little bit of difference between a regular, you know, like let's say a State Farm is that, you know, a State Farm is probably just kind of 
is probably not underwriting it as much, mm-hmm. right? So they kind of pass along the the specs to the you know State Farm corporate, and the State Farm corporate comes back with a premium. Whereas as a title agent, we actually have to do a little bit more of the legwork. So the agent has underwriting standards that are imposed by the company, or that the agent finds acceptable. So no, that we we signed an inter uh, agency agreement with the title company saying that we have to you know comply with certain underwriting regulations uh, or requirements. Got does it. does all of the risk then fall on the title company, or does the title agency retain any risk? The risk is not with the insured. The risk lies between the title company and the agent. So we as an agent could the title company could come after us as an agent if they feel like we were negligent uh, in underwriting, in issuing that contract. So does that ever happen? Has it ever happened? Not to us, but it happens all the time. If you're a title agency, do you issue title on behalf of multiple title companies? Or- yes. We write for three different title companies. Um, the biggest one in the country is uh, Fidelity or the Fidelity family of companies. It includes Fidelity Chicago. They're definitely the biggest uh, title insurance company in the world, actually. Um, and then we also write w- uh, with Westcore and WFG. How do you make the decision about which title company you're issuing a policy on behalf of? Uh, well, it's whoever we write the original commitment with. So that, that's the first contract. The commitment is the first contract, and then the policy will have to will, will follow the commitment. There's a couple of differences, you know, like it depends. Each insurance company has their own kind of palette. Uh, so there are some th- some situations where one title insurance company may not want to insure or might, you know, have a more rigorous underwriting process, whereas another company will be more palatable for those types of deals. So that's something to be mindful. Of. Very, very rarely, you know, do we find something where they kind of disagree but from time to time, you know, maybe like maybe their their way of underwriting it will be slightly different. Are there in New Jersey, are there state laws that govern this practice? Like, are there things that like, are you mandated to have a certain amount of coverage or to offer a certain amount of coverage or certain, you know, minutiae of the, the policy that the state governs? And co- like, don't costs fit into that? Yeah. So uh, first of all, title insurance companies are regulated in New Jersey by the Department of Banking Insurance as well as any other, you know, most other insurance, comp- you know, types of insurance in New Jersey. In order for you to be established as a title insurance company in New Jersey, uh, you have to have a certain amount of reserves in case you go under, uh, you know, go out of business. Um, you have to, you know, there's a lot of, you have to follow all these forms. Every form has to be approved by the, I don't know, probably Department of Banking Insurance or, you know, every form that you, every contract that you use needs to be, um, needs to be regulated. All the fees and charges are all regulated, and they, you have to have the basis for them. So you can't just say, oh, we're a new insurance company in town, uh, and we want to charge this much more. You actually have to present to the Department of Banking Insurance saying, hey, you know, we want to charge this much, and we've, you know, this is what our uh, actuary said the risk is, and it's, it's very commensurate with the actual risk. Um, and then you have to get those fees approved. So just a little example, I guess a few years ago, a few years ago, the title search, the county search portion was a cost for title agencies. So meaning that we could not charge the consumer for our cost of running a county search. Mm-hmm. And that was just kind of a cost of doing business for us. 
a few years ago, they, the insurance companies, the insurance lobby, uh, got it approved that the county search could be a pass-through cost. So not only is the insured or the borrower or buyer paying us the premium, but now they're paying for the county search as well instead of uh, that being just on the title agency. Why that actually matters to get into the nitty-gritty of it is it used to be that some insurance agencies would not give the client the county search, right? And the reason is, if there was a mistake with the county search, if you don't have the county search, you can't, you don't know that the agent actually made a mistake on the county search. But they would say, you're not paying for a county search. You're paying for a title policy, not for the county search. So, you know, we gave you the policy. Now, you can't rely on the search because, you know, they wouldn't even give you the search. But now, since it passed through a cost, now that search is being done on behalf of the of the client and so the client actually has a has a rightful claim on that search too. So they could say, oh, look, give me the search. And look, you made a mistake on the search. Wow, interesting. I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago, which is the concept of clearing title as a responsibility of the agency. Can you can you describe what that means or what that is? Yeah. So that's actually the the you know, the bulk of what we do. And this is one aspect of title insurance, uh, of this, of title insurance that's very, very different from other insurances. So in title insurance, we are very, very active in mitigating risk. So let's say you're buying life insurance and you're a smoker. Well, the life insurance company is either going to choose to insure you or not insure you, or they're going to charge you a lot more on your premium or charge you a lot less on your premium based on the fact that you're a smoker. What the insurance life insurance company is not going to tell you is to stop smoking. For title insurance, it's very different because we will say, hey, look, there is a mortgage and a judgment on title that I, I can clearly see is on title. So I will require that the seller, uh, it's my job to make sure that the seller pays off that mortgage and pays off that judgment prior to the buyer, buyer buying that policy. So that's, you know, the agent in a title insurance agency is much, much more involved in mitigating risk than any other type of insurance. So, so clearing title we, in this context means ensuring that the seller has resolved all the liens or mortgages or other open issues that are in the seller's control prior to the transaction happening. Yep. So the the whole point of, or the way title insurance works is that every buyer should buy a property and buy a title policy with a fairly as clean of a slate as possible. Mm-hmm. So that means the seller, anything the seller has to do to address any of their debts, or if we uncover any prior owner debts or prior owner issues, uh, boundary disputes, anything that title insurance would cover, which I guess is going to lead to another question, but anything that title insurance would cover, uh, we try to make sure that all those things are addressed prior to that title insurance policy being bound. Given that you teed it up <laughs> so nicely, what types of things do t- does title insurance cover? It covers a whole slew of things. Examples I often give are fraud. So, John, if you sell a property to Ryan, Ryan sells property to me. You know, if John didn't actually own that property and he committed an act of fraud, well, when by the time I buy it, then I might be in. I might not actually be buying anything because that the chain of title is fraudulent. An example of that fraud would be some form of forgery. So, let's say, you know. Again, you know, John, you're for, you're forging somebody else's name to sell the property to Ryan, and then I buy the property from Ryan again. You know, even though Ryan had no idea, you know, now that I own this property, or I I don't actually own that as a clear title claim. Other kind of esoteric things are would be like um, unknown heirs. So you know, if somebody were to pass away and the uh, property passes to three of their heirs, and then 
you know, it, it gets sold and sold again, but turns out that person actually had four children and one child that nobody knew about, you know, that fourth child would have an interest in the property and that would end up in a title claim. So how does a title claim like that ultimately play out? Is it, does it, does it generally resolve by way of like a monetary payout, like a monetary settlement? Yeah, it could. It could also play out with a DNA test, right? You have to, you would, you might have to prove that you're a child. It could be some sort of quiet title action. I guess it's not super common that it's like an unknown heir. It would maybe be, it would maybe be a, um, let's say somebody were to pass away and they leave it to three children, but then somebody would challenge, one of those children would challenge the validity of the will saying, hey, I should have, you know, gotten the entire property, right? And this will isn't, this will was never probated, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, for whatever reason, I should get a larger share. Well, then you can quiet their, the quiet title, their, their interest in that property, stuff like that. There's, there's some. Is it the title agency or company's responsibility to hire legal counsel to do that? Or would you essentially say to the owner, here's some money, you hire an attorney? Generally, the insurance company will retain an attorney on behalf of the insured. Mm -hmm. And that's generally what most title claims are, are court fees and legal fees. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily, hey, you've suffered a loss. You know, you've suffered a loss. Let me shell out money to cover that loss. It's more so, hey, let me come up with the money to hire an attorney to help you defend against that claim, that challenge to your title. I would guess that given that the cost of title insurance is relatively low, that these claims are pretty rare. Is that the case? Yes, they are rare. And the reason they're rare is because a title agency is spending a lot of time mitigating that risk, Mm -hmm. right? So they would, 99.5% of the titles that I examine have some sort of title defect. Mm -hmm. But most of those title defects are very, very easily resolved. Like for example, the seller has to pay their mortgage, right? Or the seller has to pay taxes. Because we are so involved and there's such an active uh, effort to make sure that title is clean by the time the buyer takes title, yeah, I mean, there, there are very few claims. I guess I, I'm curious a little bit about the, the process of clearing title and examining title because Ryan and I have bought a lot of properties that I would say have complex title issues um, because they've hairy, been some might hairy say. title issues. They've been foreclosed on or we foreclosed on them. And um, we've we've even had situations where we've gone or we've been selling a property and different buyers will have their own different title agencies and the different title agencies will find different things or not find different things or impose different exceptions. And we brought properties that have, uh, there's like a one in Connecticut that had a mortgage from like 1970 or something like that, that was for $3,000 that was never closed and all sorts of weird stuff. I, I wonder, it seems to me just from those experiences that these the, the records of some of these properties are very messy. Is that something that you encounter where you just look through a title abstract or report and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is insane or? I wouldn't say it's it's super common, but it, it does happen from time to time. By nature, examining title can be kind of challenging. Number one, it's very, very uh, democratized, meaning you know every county records things a little bit differently. There, uh, every county holds their own records. So, you know, we've dealt with title that kind of borders between two counties and some documents are recorded in one county and then the, you know, maybe the deed is recorded in one county, but the mortgage is recorded in a different county. And then you have to imagine that these county clerks jobs are are fairly challenging, fairly high pressured. And so, you know, mistakes do happen quite a bit and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, you're, you're getting documents all day long from all different directions. 
and the references to the property, you know, some of them might say, you know, 100 Main Street, but then it's actually 100-102 Main Street. So actually indexing it against the right property or indexing against the right mortgage can be challenging as well. So let's say a discharge comes in for a mortgage for that $3,000 mortgage from 1970, you know, either it never got recorded or it never got sent, or maybe it got indexed against a different mortgage. And now it's just lost in the the nethers of the, mm-hmm. of the land record. So you know, I think by nature, uh, a lot of investors, a lot of uh, fix and flippers might might encounter properties that maybe have more title issues than others. You have to imagine, you know, a lot of a lot of properties, properties that have changed hands more often will have fewer title issues because there's more opportunities to clear those issues up. Properties that have been in family for maybe seventy years. Right, or maybe have passed through, um, passed through, you know, some sort of death situation. Those are going to have more title issues because nobody's looked at it for you know x amount of years. I would have thought about it the other way, where the more it changes changes hands, the more things are going on, and the more yeah, that that would be increased complexity. But I could see. I assume the idea is that each successive time it changes hands, that uh, that esoteric mortgage from forty years ago has been either discharged or they've been able to index it. And did those records pass on from sale to sale or from transfer to transfer? So if if I buy a property from John and then sell that property to you, does the title policy that you have at all reflect what I received when I bought it from John? So in New Jersey, there is something called the interagency indemnity. Basically, uh, if I if I hold the previous policy, it will it will cover a lot of different title issues before I insure it again. Meaning, let's say there's this 1970 mortgage, but it's already been insured over one time. If I hold that policy, then I can insure it over one more time. And if that mortgage were to ever become an issue, then I can go back and I can I can go to the previous title company, and then it'll be on their it'll be their responsibility. If it's not one of these, if it's not one of those situations where it is covered under this agreement. Then I can get something called an indemnity, uh, an indemnity letter from the previous title company, so that again, saying, "Hey, you know, I insured this before. I recognize that there's this problem. If this problem ever rears its ugly head, you can come back. Uh, you can come back and call me about it." Can you talk a little bit about the the actual nuts and bolts of the title search itself, like actually retrieving documents? Uh, because I've always been fascinated by how that is done. Because I'll get these big title packets, and they'll just be crazy copies of microfilm weird stuff from 100 years ago and I have no idea where these documents are and how they find them and who finds them. Yeah, so it's a whole world out there as far as title searching. First thing most people don't know is, you know, you think that you can just plug in an address and then all the land records for that address pop up. But land records are actually indexed by name. So uh, I would have to search Victor Liu to find all the documents that relate to me. So the first thing you would have to do is find you know, you have a subject property, 100 Main Street, and you have to find out who the owner of that property is. So you find out who the owner is. Now you search Victor Liu. I'm the owner of this property. Okay, Victor Liu bought it from Ryan Goldfarb. So next you have to search out Ryan Goldfarb and look at all the mortgages Ryan Goldfarb once took out. Now, if Ryan Goldfarb owned one property, it's very easy to look through all his mortgages. But, you know, if you go to, if you find, you know, let's say it was previously owned by, you know, the USDEP, or US EPA, you can imagine that you're going to have thousands and thousands of 
of records under that name. And you have to sift through them to find out which documents actually pertain to the property that you are doing. One major issue in New Jersey is New Jersey Transit actually used to own a ton of, and still does own a ton of property. And, you know, to, ha- to be able to search out New Jersey Transit can be a really, really extensive project. Uh, and that's from time to time, you know, as a title searcher, you're going to encounter some of these New Jersey Transit projects. Is that the type of task that falls on the title agency or is that on the search the search company? Yeah, that would be on the search company. You know, a lot of people will go, since not many people know about the search industry, uh, a lot of people will go to the title agencies to, with some of these projects. But the title agencies really make money when they insure when they insure a title. So if there's sometimes you just need to do this project and there's no insurance involved. But either way, the agency is going to hire a search company to to kind of run that out. Back to the the search aspect of it, it's actually underwriting guidelines that we search back the chain of title for 60 years. So that sometimes that can be easy, right? So it could be one person owned it for 60 years, and then you find one deed and you're good. Other times, you know, a property could have been sold 10 times in 60 years, could have been sold 20 times in 60 years, and then you have to retrieve any, every single one of those deeds and then run each of those owners for any judgments, mortgages, liens they might have put on the property while they owned it. All this is generally done at the county courthouse uh, where all these records are kept. And then, you know, like we mentioned at the beginning at the top of the show is that we, you know, sometimes this could involve going into the books, you know, instead of the computers and, you know, these, and then you start making photocopies of these books. Uh, In Bergen County, I remember, you know, a lot of it was on microfiche. So you actually have to go through the microfiche to find, you know, to actually generate these copies of these documents so that we can present it to the title agency so that they can examine it, review it, find any possible issues that need to be addressed. And then, uh, clear that up before you know, so a it. title search company will have people that work in say every county in New Jersey, like one person that's like, Hey, this is your job. Whenever we need help in whatever Bergen County, you go to the courthouse or do they have like freelance people or is it both exist? So there are freelance people that, you know, are just in say Essex County. So some title agencies will hire those, uh, you know, solo, solo guys in Essex County. That art is slowly being lost. You know, there's not many people becoming title searchers these days. It's becoming a little bit more consolidated into a fewer in a few bigger companies. And they will employ searchers to go to these counties as opposed to like the the one guy that's I mean, you know, just just 10 just 10 years ago, it was pretty much it was probably 70% those solo guys and 30% companies. Now it seems to be like 80% companies and 20% solo guys. So it is, it is a little bit sad because there's a ton of knowledge that's that's kept, you know, like these guys have been in this county forever and done, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of searches. They probably know the land records better than most people. And um, that art is kind of being lost uh, as they start to retire and, you know, kind of get out of that industry. I'd actually encourage people to go to the county records and go try to search things yourself. I did that once. And I got a little bit of an uh, a little bit of an inside view into the world that you were just describing because as soon as I walked in, I felt like such an outsider because everyone there was talking. They were talking to each other as if they see each other every day, which I'm sure they do. And they're you know, asking about their family, hey, "What are you doing this weekend?" Everyone was real buddy buddy with each other, and they were all just cranking through these searches, cranking through these searches, many of which they've probably done multiple times already. But some of the issues that you alluded to having on the search end, I, I witnessed firsthand when I thought when I went in there and thought I was going to be doing a very straightforward search and realized that there were like five or six layers to the search that I had completely underestimated, like the different names and the different 
references to a property address, things like that. Yeah, I mean, going into the county land records, it's it's like going into like some of these like uh, like a library from like Harry Potter or something. You know, <laughs> it's it's definitely like entering a, a a world from a different time, and it's really cool. And I'm glad to have experienced that, and uh, you know, to still be doing that. I mean, obviously, a lot more. There's now these rooms have a lot more computers and a lot more uh, digitized, and that's that's good. You know, it's a lot more efficient that way. But I still think of it as an art, and I, I certainly appreciate you know what what the people that actually do this kind of work. I wonder if we could talk about title from the perspective of a, uh, an investor or a, a real estate owner, owner occupant, you know, I guess in my mind, I think of title insurance as a sort of absolute requirement. Um, I've very rarely heard of people transferring property, except if it's like husband to wife or something like that, without getting a title insurance policy or going through that process. Is that your opinion also, or have you found that? I, I, I'm just trying to think if I've, I know of transfers that happen without title insurance. Yeah, I was just going to, I was just going to ask it. It seems like a straightforward question, but obviously we're doing an arm's length transaction. That's going to necessitate title in almost any situation, unless some instances that we've seen with like Mm -hmm. REO type stuff or foreclosures. But yeah, if you're for like the kind of like intrafamily transfers or a quick claim, does that necessitate title? Sometimes. So that's. I have to tread carefully because I don't think, because I'm not an attorney, so I can't actually tell you when if your coverage would lapse or not. You know, that's technically the reading of a contract and to the comprehension of a contract and to explain a contract, which I'm I'm not actually allowed to do without a law license. That being said, you know, I can count on one hand how many times somebody has not purchased a owner's title policy when they are buying from somebody they don't know. I can recount one example very vividly where, you know, we went all the way to the closing day and at the closing table, they said, oh, I actually don't want owner's title insurance. Can you take that part off? And, you know, for me, it it doesn't make a ton of sense to do that because he was getting a loan. So So he had lender, a lender policy, not an owner's policy. Absolutely. So there's two types of policies, owner's title policy, which insures the homeowner and the home buyer, uh, and lender's title policy, which protects the lender that's actually putting up most of the money for you to buy that property. So they actually have more skin in the game generally than you do. So lenders will always force a borrower or it will always require that a borrower buys a lender's policy to protect them when they lend you money. So the great thing about title or the great thing about when you're doing this is when you buy an owner's policy and a lender's policy together, it's called a simultaneous issue, uh, simultaneous pol- owner lender policy simultaneously. Uh, and it's actually buy one, get one free or uh, buy one, get one for like 10%. So oftentimes if you're buying like a $300,000 home and you are getting a $250,000 loan, you know, your the amount that you pay for your full coverage, full owner's title policy coverage is only a couple hundred dollars. Whereas if you were to buy a standalone owner's policy, it could cost a couple thousand dollars. So, you know, for a couple hundred dollars, if you're already paying, you know, $1,800 for a couple hundred dollars, you get all the coverage of a $2,000 policy, you should do it. But I, I recount one time where at the closing table, he said, no, I, I really don't think I need this. And so I had, I had to cut a new check to refund him that, you know, the couple hundred dollars uh, and drive it up to Bergen County to make sure that, you know, obviously he was, he left satisfied, not, not buying owner's title insurance. So I remember that very vividly because both I and his attorney were trying to convince him, you know, like really you're not, it's, it's not worth this $200 is not worth it. You're getting a, you know, you're getting a $2,000 product. 
what was his rationale for not doing it? He just didn't think he needed it. Not spending two hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, he just he just didn't feel like he needed it, and uh, you know he didn't think that there'd be, there'd be title issues. And I mean, fortunately, I don't think I've ever heard from him again, which is a good thing, you know. And I'm glad I'm glad that's the case. But you know, for for a measly two hundred dollars, it's it's probably worth it for that two thousand dollar for that two thousand dollar value. I feel like we're nearing the end here. But I had a few maybe quick hitter type questions if we could try to get nice. some All right. a quick response to it. If you need a second to think about it. That's, okay. That's totally fine. So what is what is not covered by title insurance? Zoning issues. Anything that is accepted on the title policy. So on title policy, there will be a page that says exceptions. Anything that is listed on there would not be covered on uh, by the title policy. Anything that happens after the effective date of the title policy. So... Uh, anything that you knew about before you bought the property, so anything you had knowledge of, uh, would not be covered by title policy. For any other questions, feel free to reach out to Victor Liu. At- <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask one question? I don't want to interrupt your okay. rapid fire, but I, I do have always wondered this. So for exceptions on a title policy, yeah. will, you al- will a title company or agency always write a policy subject to whatever exception? Like, for example, say that there are clouds in the title or issues that just cannot be resolved. Will you still write a policy and just say, okay, subject to this exception? Or are there some titles you say, no, I just cannot insure it under any circumstances? There are some titles that we will not insure, that we will not insure. Uh, stuff. If the title issue is big enough, we will not. We so will even not. if you wrote an exception, you'd say, never. Yeah, the exception is bigger than the policy. So yeah. uh, an attorney kind of explained this to me, but like if you are basically selling selling something that means nothing. So this title policy will insure it insures your ownership, except in the case that you don't own it. Basically, I've sold you a piece of paper that says nothing. Sure. Right. So, if the exception is too big, I would, you know, it wouldn't be right for me to sell you that policy. Okay. But except for that, everything else would be sort of accepted out in that section. You'd say, except for this, except for that, I'll still write you the policy. Maybe the exceptions are very significant, but I'll still write you the policy. Uh, yeah. I mean, as long as it's not so significant that, again, uh, I'm selling you right. something that's worthless. Hmm. Does title insurance expire? It does not expire; it lapses. So it will last for as long as you or your heirs own the land, own the piece of property. But it will lapse if you sell the property to somebody else, or if you voluntarily transfer it to even if to somebody uh, other than your spouse. So if you transfer it to your kids, your title insurance expires. If you were to pass away and the property passes to your kids, then the title insurance stays in force. Can you just briefly ex- explain the concept of a chancery abstract? Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, this is something that we get a lot from investors. Uh, anytime a property has been through foreclosure, uh, basically, you know, in most cases, all the transfers have been voluntary. So if a previous owner says, oh, I didn't really mean to sell that to you, you can say, well, you signed that deed. You really don't have an argument. But in the case of foreclosure, that property actually got taken away from somebody. So that person that the property got taken away from, they still have a lot of rights and they could they are aggrieved. So it's possible they could bring uh, an action in court to try to get their property back. So a chancery abstract makes sure that even if they were to bring an action in court, even if they were to challenge the foreclosure, the, the foreclosure process is so buttoned up or is buttoned up enough that they probably won't win in court. So we order something called a chancery abstract where we go into the chancery court in Trenton. We pull all their records to make sure that all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed in the foreclosure process. Um, most importantly, that you know that the the person that the person that owned the property was notified that they were about to lose the property. Because that's the biggest thing. If you if you had fair warning and you still didn't fix the problems, you still you know come current on your mortgage then you really don't have much of an argument. But oftentimes, you know, people make mistakes and they never get served. So then they say they lose their property without even knowing it. 
We're familiar with that. <laughs> not from the mistakenly not being served, but from the opposite side of that. What are some of the most, or what's the most common misconception that you see about title insurance or the title process? One big misconception that, you know, is that it's very simple. You plug in an address and out spits out a title policy. Misconception probably exists because of other types of insurance where you just give a bunch of, you know, profile type information and then they can kind of spit out, you know, how much that would cost. But uh, the amount of work that goes into writing a policy is actually pretty extensive. And then, you know, I think generally people just don't understand title at all or don't even realize that title is something that they're buying in the closing process. They write this big check and then they, you know, they kind of go through everything very quickly. They don't realize that they're actually, you know, buying this product from this company. Uh, and that's something that they should, you know, really think hard about and, you know, maybe shop around for. I guess there's this whole other concept of, of uh, you know, what a title agency does, which uh, we didn't talk about is they sort of act as the, the middleman, like almost like the escrow agent for all these, yep. these uh, the settlement agent for all of these um, transactions, at least in New Jersey, at least in New Jersey. And I think that that's, uh, from our perspective, that that's a, that's a big value add for a title company because obviously a seller and a buyer often have an attorney or have their own interest. But the title company usually, even though it's you know usually uh, paid for by the buyer or arranged by the buyer, sort of sits in the middle, kind of coordinating all these things, um, which is itself a huge value add that you're paying for. Also, when you you know get a title policy, there's a fee for that, right? Yeah, there's there's a settlement, settlement fee. fee. Which is, you know, uh, basically, it, it's crazy that prior to, to, to 2015, I would say probably 90% of settlement was done by attorneys. And then in a very, very quick and short amount of time, I would say 95% of settlements are now being done by the title agencies. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a very, very huge paradigm shift in how the, how the real estate closing process looks like. Yeah, so in New Jersey, we, are, we do act as settlement agents. It's becoming a bigger and bigger piece of every title agency's kind of expenses. So I guess 10 years ago, you could say you would probably say the highest paid role in a title agency is the examiner, the title agent, uh, the title officer. These days you can see you'll see that the settlement officer is actually becoming a more expensive role that you know, you have to fill as a title agent hmm. because that's become much more much more expensive uh and uh Important piece. It's of strange too because it's different in different states. I know in Connecticut, where we've uh, purchased properties, it's very different. Attorneys, I think, are do all the settlements, and they're also sort of simultaneously title agents or something like that. I don't know. It's like yeah, they're like the or yeah, I, I the title. I don't know if it's the examiner, but they. I don't think we even spoke to a title representative no, last no. time we closed. Well, I, I think the title representative right, was the was attorney. The, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every state is really, really different. New Jersey is kind of interesting because it it's close to both Pennsylvania and New York. So northern New Jersey follows the New York model where people still hire attorneys and mm-hmm. attorneys used to do the settlement. Whereas southern New Jersey followed the Pennsylvania model where nobody would use an attorney. Or if they used an attorney, right. you know, this title company was still the settlement agent. Yeah, when we buy property in Atlantic City, very rarely are attorneys evolved. Right. But in North Jersey, always. Yeah, and sure. in Iowa, they don't even have title insurance. Or yeah. at least it's uh, it's state it's state insured. Wow, um, really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, I've, wild. Wild I've, Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> one last question. If there's one thing you could change about the title process, what would it be? Take your time. Okay. Except you have a call in four minutes. <laughs> I wish that the information needed to insure a title was all more public. 
In order to, for us to ensure a title, we have to gather data from so many different sources. We have to go to the county land records, which we talked a lot about. We have to get tax records from the tax collector or a tax service company. We have to get judgment searches from the um, superior and district courts, which is provided by another third-party vendor. Uh, we have to get patriot searches, which is you know, provided by you. Basically, we, we have to amalgate um, so many different pieces of data from so many different sources that we have to pay so much for because they're oftentimes you know kind of controlled by these data companies and you know all of this should be public data but it, again it's very very monopolized by a few companies and that cost actually gets passed on to passed on to the the home buyer um, making title insurance more expensive than it should be being that this is all public record it should be a, you know it should be a lot more efficient than it is and uh, I just see that as a you know a, a unnecessary inefficiency. From your mouth to government's ears. I have one last question, and I know we have only a few minutes. Cool. I've always been wondering, I, 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 from the perspective of of someone intimately involved in this, do you have any sort of weird or crazy story that where title insurance came into play? Like, I, I, I just, I'm trying to conceive of how I, I've always been. I'm fascinated by these weird title issues and weird legal issues. Do you have any weird incident that happened that comes to mind? And like, wow, I've never seen this before, never will see it again that happened with a, a title policy or a title claim? I know they're rare, so maybe there aren't many to choose from. Yeah, I remember in this industry, you encounter all sorts of people and all sorts of properties. We see a lot of fraudulent... I'll give you a, a good example. There was a, a property, it was a short sale, and then the mortgage got paid off. The mortgage, we had a payoff statement from the lender. Uh, we paid it off. Everything looked good. But turns out, like there was a rogue person at that at that lender, that lending institution, that was getting paid outside, uh, paid uh, paid, you know, outside of the normal protocol in order to issue, you know, fraudulent discharges. Wow. And it was a smaller bank, so they they weren't like you know keeping track of their mortgages that well or their loans that well. But you know, this mortgage was discharged for two years prior to the the actual owner of, of that lender realizing that, you know, this was going on. And he found out, he didn't find out based on his bank account, he found out because uh, I guess this rogue person employee who was also his niece was like bragging about it to the other employees wow. about how she's getting paid $10,000 $10, per discharge that she was issuing. Wow. Getting rid of these mortgages. So yeah, so that, that, that money never like made it. seems like a criminal issue as well. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. We, we actually encounter a good amount of uh, that kind of stuff. Well, this has been fantastic. This is maybe my favorite episode. I'm just, fascinated by this. Yeah, so I, I, I love the I love the authenticity of when you hear a question that excites you. It's just it's visible. <laughs> um no, it's fun if, for me too. If Thanks, people guys. want to get in touch with you or with Clear Skies, how would they do that? Yeah. So we have a really cool website where you, you can kind of calculate the cost of title uh, immediately. The website is www.clearskiestitle.com. Skies is S-K-I-E-S. Yeah. So check it out. We have a cool video repository there too. So you can learn more about this kind of stuff. And, you know, just it's chock full of uh, data. So come check us out. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for your time. And thank you to Ryan, who I didn't introduce initially, <laughs> but has been here the whole time. Thank you for the belated introduction. Of course. Thanks and for the so opportunity, you guys. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, please feel free to follow us on your favorite podcast app or uh, website. And we'll be back uh, soon with another episode. Thank you. All right. It's been fun. Thanks. Don't forget to visit us at BrickXBrickRealEstate.com for free content to help you along your real estate journey and to follow along on our projects. Subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app 
and engage with us online via Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and BrickXBrickRealEstate.com. See you next time on the Brick by Brick Podcast.